I am standing in front of the Seal Center in Kvamstanki, Iceland right now. It is right in a big old building right out in the harbor on the edge of a fjord, uh, which opens out onto the Greenland Sea above Iceland. It is snowing really hard right now, and I almost canceled this visit because I'm actually a little bit worried about the road conditions on the way back to Reykjavik, where it's supposed to be snowing even harder. I'm on my way back from Akureyri right now in the north, where I was getting some other museum recordings. And the director of the museum here in Kvamsangi uh, sent me a tweet and said, hey, would you come by and do an episode in the museum? And I said, yes, I will be there in two hours. I'm on my way. Uh, so here we are. It's really lovely down here. The harbor lights are on, but there's also a bit of blue in the sky left over from dusk. And while I would really like to stay out here and enjoy it, maybe take some pictures a bit more, um, it's really cold. <laughs> so I'm going to head inside and learn more about seals and the Seal Center in Kvamsangi. Welcome to Museums in Strange Places. I'm your host, Hannah Heffernan. And this is a podcast for people who love museums, stories, culture, and exploring the world. understand the world is through story. I think that story and hard facts, the, that the, the art and science together is the most powerful way that we've got to fulfill our objectives of making the research accessible, of making people understand seals better. When I've taken friends or family on road trips through Iceland, there's one question that inevitably gets asked when we drive past towns so small that you might miss them if you weren't paying attention. What do people do here? How do they make a living? In towns all over Iceland, but particularly in the West Fjords, the East Fjords, and the North, there is a big shift underway as communities built around industries that are now dying or shrinking are trying to bring new economies into their town. One of the most promising is tourism. Iceland is in the middle of a tourism boom and had over 2 million tourists in 2017. That's 2 million tourists in a country of about 330,000 people. It's not just industry that is leaving in some rural places in Iceland. Rural depopulation itself is a problem. When young people move away in large number from rural towns, areas can become what's called fragile communities. A 2012 study by the Regional Institute of Iceland found that 30 municipalities fit the definition, having experienced 15% depopulation over a 15-year period. In Kvamstangi, a small town just off the Ring Road on the north coast of Iceland, the community is literally filling their empty industrial buildings with new opportunities. The SEAL Center, 
located in an old slaughterhouse in the harbor, has been working since 2005 to make Kvamstangi the place for sustainable seal watching and research in Iceland. I visited the center's museum to speak to Sigurdur Lindal Thorisson and learn more about their important work. Hi, I am Sigurdur Lindal and I am the CEO of the Icelandic Seal Center in Kvamstangi, Northwest Iceland. Yeah, so the museum is kind of a part of what the Seal Center does as a whole. So to begin by explaining that, that the Seal Center is first and foremost a research institute. So we uh, do uh, marine biology research. So we have, uh, we have a team that takes care of that. Uh, we are also the tourist information center for the area and the travel agency and these kinds of things. And then we have the museum. And the museum is our way of actually bringing the work of our researchers to the public, bringing the history of the area alive, and is also a way as our tourism is dependent a lot on uh, watching wildlife, watching the seals out in nature. And we want to make sure that people are doing that in a responsible way and that their experience from watching the seals out in nature is as deep and meaningful as possible. And one of the ways of Doing that is by getting people to come to the museum and learn before they experience. Would you tell me a bit about the history of, of seals in Iceland and in Kvamstanki? Okay. Like everywhere else uh, where there were a significant number of seals, so this is one of the two or three areas of the country where there have traditionally been the most seals, so, which means that back in time, it was a very important source of food and of currency seals because uh, flesh would be eaten and the skins would be shipped abroad. And in many ways, uh, if you go out on the peninsula here, Vastness Peninsula, lots of those farms are not typical farms in the, in the pastoral sense. Uh, those are farms where people used to get a lot of driftwood, which was a very valuable commodity here. They would... Uh, go out on a boat in the, in the winter and they would fish and they would hunt seals. And also Eiderdown, of course, was a very valuable uh, commodity. So those farms had a very different, different setup than traditional farms, or I call them traditional farms because I'm from one of those farms. We used to ship abroad a lot of skins. Uh, then that market kind of collapses um, for animal welfare reasons. And then seals become a kind of... Uh, pest really. The government puts a bounty on their heads and people start shooting them and just uh, removing the lower jaw. And you get paid by the government in the 80s for each lower jaw that you bring along. And then now again, uh, seals have become valuable in a sense again because they help with the tourism industry. And we are also beginning to understand how they can be useful in telling us the health of the marine environment. Unfortunately, the population of seals is very low, uh, historically speaking. Uh, there's been, from 1980, there is a 77% decrease in the, in the number of seals in, in the country, which is also another reason why, whilst we welcome uh, the nature watchers and the wildlife enthusiasts that want to see seals in the natural habitat, we also want to have this opportunity to actually educate them on how to behave. And most of the time, you can't tell people how to do it. Some people 
will not be told. <laughs> uh, that's a whole discussion for another day, I suppose. But at least we have the opportunity of, of uh, explaining in some way why you know, nature is a delicate thing and you shouldn't go around shouting and waving your arms and... What people do, for example, with drones is people like, people like to bring the drone above the colony and drop it down and up a few times to spook the seals because it's such a great shot when the seals all start running yeah. into the sea, right? Because they're, I mean, seals are pretty boring, actually, right? <laughs> In that way, they're like, uh, visually, they're boring because they're a little bit blobby to look at and then they just like stay still, right? So there's a far more interesting shot if you can get them spooked and get them running into the sea, you know, whatever. But it's no, but that's not that's not recommended behavior at all. And this building is connected to the history of seals in Iceland too, right? Uh, well, in so, sort of. It's it's uh, when I was a kid, so I grew up here and then I uh, spent a lot of years living abroad and then I came back a couple of years ago. So when I was young, outside of this building there used to, used to be in the 80s, I used to see these stacks of seal carcasses with the lower jaw missing. And they would just be stacked up here and then uh, the, the meat would be used for, you know, dog food or something, you know, it's not very nice. But this building here was part of the slaughterhouse and the slaughterhouse for sheep. So uh, this uh, area that we stood in right now used to be the hide cellar. So hides of uh, sheepskin basically would be here and you would put one skin down, then a layer of very coarse salt and then another one on top of that. And you'd walk in here and there would be like these massive stacks of of sheepskin. That's what that's the memory I have as a as yeah. a child. Let's see. Would you uh, tell me about this awesome boat in the middle of the of the room? Yeah, sure. So this is a this is a boat that was uh, built by somebody out on the out on the peninsula, out on Vasnes. What I find quite interesting and it sort of uh, encapsulates a lot of what is happening is that this boat was built by a man called Elval Danielson and was used to hunt seals from. Nowadays, there is another man called Elval Danielson, and he is a captain of a boat too, but his boat is a seal watching boat, and it sails here from the harbor in Kvamstangi, and that's a boat that takes people out to look at the seals. So they are still uh, uh, valuable to us, but in a very different way, and I hope in a way that uh, we can say that we are coexisting better. One thing that yeah. I might point out here is that you see there is a window here into the lab. So sometimes when you come along here, you will see the scientists working on something. So I think that is one of the features here of the, of the museum that people will enjoy. And it's not something you see very often. Yeah, so what, what kind of work are the scientists doing in the lab and, and at the center? Uh, so right now, the main work uh, is the census. So we have a census of seals. So, yeah, so exactly. Okay. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, and last year we did a census of harbor seals. And this year it is a census of the gray seals, uh, which are the two species of seals that breed in Iceland and are resident all year round. And we have all sorts of other species that come for a visit and that kind of thing. But these are the two uh, main species. So that is done uh, by air. So you, you fly over the colonies and you count and you take photographs and then you count from the photographs. Researchers have also, we have also done things like, for example, here in the lab of uh, taking seal feces 
and drying it and then uh, basically putting it through. I'm not a scientist, so... <laughs> I, I in do, layman's I, terms. In layman's terms, you, you, you take the feces, you um, filter out everything apart from these tiny little fragments of bones, then you take the bones and then you analyze from what fish they are. And then you figure out what the composition of the food is. So that's, that's work that's been done here in the lab, for example. That's fascinating. Yeah, and, uh, and I mean, uh, sounds like both of them are very uh, time-consuming. A lot of manual labor. Yes, yes, uh, and there's a lot of looking through the, you know. So most of the time, we, you can see that there are people in there doing something. It uh, most of the time it's not very exciting. Uh, there'll be somebody uh, over, over looking, looking through a thing and writing some notes and whatnot. So it's very rare that we have. I mean, we do sometimes have uh, that um, you're doing autopsies or anything like that. How many scientists uh, work with the center? So we have uh, three uh, marine biologists in the research department, and we also have somebody who studies tourism. That's the kind of science staff. And then here in the museum, there is two of us that work in the museum full-time, or in the museum tourism information and the kind of whole travel agency kind of side of things. And then we have a lot of seasonal staff. Because, so there are two ways of counting the visitors here. So there's the first level that come into the information center and get maps and information on the area and whatever, which is more people. That last year was uh, 42,000 and something. Uh, And then there's the people that pay the ticket to go into the museum, which last year was just under 14,000. So yeah, we say 42,000 people a year, but we get like 300 people in January. (laughs) <laughs> and we get 11,000 people in July and in July and another 11,000 people in August and like 7,000 in June. So there's a lot of seasonality. So it's a little quiet in the winter, but you are you seem it appears you stay open all all, all year. Yes, we have this is the second winter we have stayed open. It is an entirely chaotic exercise. <laughs> uh it makes no financial sense whatsoever, but I think it is I think it is necessary and I will continue doing it as long as I possibly can. And why do you think it's necessary? I think it's I think partly it is safety and I'm talking here about the tourist information side of it. I think it's uh, a lot of people come here to Iceland in the winter and they don't really know where to look for information on weather for example. Mm. Right? So uh, I think we have to, as a society, be responsible enough to be here for there to be a human contact for to be able to help people, at least be able to help those people that want to be helped, which is the vast majority of people. So there is that. The uh, other thing is, and that comes in in the same way, on the, is that you can't tell people that, hey, come to Iceland in the winter, it's awesome, and everything be closed. Mm. Right, and especially in the winter, there's not that much time for sightseeing because you know it's dark most of the time. So you have a very short window of each day where you can sightsee, and that's if you're lucky with the weather, and you know it's not a storm or anything. So you know we're we're trying to be a very small cog in the machine of of changing that and making something available for people to do. So we are run we are a private company, but we are run in the public interest. Mm. My job is to do things that may not make the most financial sense, 
but that are good for the community as a whole. And it's good for the community as a whole if I can draw people off the main road, out here onto the peninsula to come and stop and get some information and look at the museum, and then maybe they will spend the night or they will go to the restaurant or anything like that. So speaking of the community, mm-hmm. tell me a little bit about Kvamstangi and the place that you guys are in and how you are involved in the community. I mean, you've spoken a little bit about that, but... Yeah. So the municipality, Hunathing Vestra, is about 1,200 people. I always say that there's uh, 1,200 people living on uh, 4,000 square kilometers with 38,000 sheep. <laughs> and that is true. The community, uh, in terms of numbers of population, is kind of split in half, as it were. Half lives out on farms, and the other half lives here in Kvamstangi. So it's about 600 people that live here. Uh, And they have a kind of a wide uh, variety of professions. Uh, A lot of, you know, those kind of services to, this is a very rural area, uh, services to the farmers and so forth is, is, a, is a big part of it. There is some fishing here, but we're not a fishing town in the, in the sense that you would say in Iceland. Although we have like, you know, there's one commercial boat and that goes from here. What the SEAL Center does is provide a kind of a focal point, both for efforts in tourism, in we get involved in cultural things, we publish maps. Uh, We are a source of jobs for highly educated people, which is one of the major things that affect health of communities, health of rural communities that are suffering from population decline. One of the ways that you can change that is by providing jobs and jobs for people with doctorates. And we will hire people from anywhere in the world. I mean, the research department of the four people there, none of them are born in Iceland. It's much easier. It's very interesting. Rural Iceland has a much easier chance of finding people born abroad that believe in it, that actually believe that the rural parts of Iceland are an amazing place to live and have a lot of opportunities for people and see the opportunities, see the standard of living that you can have on you know, relatively modest salaries because the cost of housing isn't killing you. And I speak as a Londoner. I lived in London for 20 years. So I know completely what the other side of the coin is, uh, much worse than you have it in Reykjavik. But yeah, we can, get, we can get people from anywhere in the world to apply and to be interested and really want to come and do these amazing jobs because there's not many pure research jobs out there either, right? For people that that study marine biology, most of the time, you know, they get converted into teachers rather than getting to just do the research. And here they can just do the research. And I guess as you're saying with a a focal point, it it gives the town its almost... A symbol in in the mind of a tourist or in the mind of, of foreigners, you know, Husvik is the whale town, mm-hmm. and uh, you have the West words for puffins, and Hapnafjörður uh, is the town in the lava, and here you have seals, and it gives the town puts the town on the map, so to speak, absolutely. along with the sign of the seal on this road. Yeah, it's very yeah. cute. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. I think that's true. I think that's true too. It's been it's been very. It's been very interesting to watch it from afar to start with because uh, I only took over the, the center in 2015. 
so I and the center started in 2005. So it so it went on for 10 years before I came along. So I was living abroad at the time, and I was just coming back every now and then, and I was seeing what the what the changes were. And it has, and I'm you know complimenting my predecessors on this. It has drastically changed a lot of things. It's made a lot of things possible. There's not you know it's not a coincidence that the there's a restaurant directly above us, which I heartily recommend. Nothing to do with me, so it's not like a, I'm not getting a percentage or anything, but there's a lovely restaurant. It's part of the same building that used to be part of the slaughterhouse too. So when you go in and hang your coat up, you're actually putting it on an old meat hook. And, you know, this kind of turning things around in that these buildings that used to be industrial are now like really, truly being regenerated post-industrial buildings, you know, it used to be a slaughterhouse and it's a museum and it's a restaurant that's open all year round. It's really cool, it's a wonderful view over the fjord. And here in the summer we have, we're very lucky that in the summer um, sand deals come in great numbers into the fjord. So you can sit in that, you can sit in that restaurant, look out the window and see whales just playing in wow. the fjord. It's amazing. This, this wouldn't happen except for the people that had this crazy idea that, you know, maybe maybe people would be interested in knowing more about seals. Let's do something about that since, you know, that is a thing that we have here. So speaking of knowing more about seals, would you uh, show me and tell me about this new interactive that you have? Yeah, sure. Okay, so... The new museum, baby? Yeah, yeah. So uh, I'd love to tell you about it because uh, I'm very proud of it because I spent a lot of time and a lot of money on it. So what we have here is what I hope that we can take further and carry on doing, which is using the wonderful work of the research staff and finding ways of um, disseminating that to the public, essentially. So what we have here is a map of Iceland, and there's an interactive map, and it tracks a seal pup, a grey seal pup. In September of uh, 2016, there was a, like a GPS tag put on top on um, glued onto the hairs of a grey seal pup. And they can't swim to start with, so they have this uh, birth hair, this long white hair, which is why they're called grey seals. And you wait, and they, they well, can basically stay on land to start with, and then you have this, have this little uh, GPS signal, right? This little locator. Sends out a little ping. And we have that data. And the scientists were using that for their own reasons because they, you know, they're looking at migration patterns and you know, all sorts of things that are very interesting. Uh, they, they actually tagged uh, six pups. So very quickly, you know, the idea came up, shouldn't we try and take this data and turn it into something that the, the public can enjoy and understand? Because, you know, I saw, the, I saw the interface that the scientists were using in the website, right? And like, I mean, you, you, you can't show that to anybody because it's just, it's ugly, right? Yeah. It's like an Excel sheet. And so we, so we got the data here from... Um, from uh, the scientists, and we took it to the company in uh, Reykjavik called uh, Gagarin, which you may have heard of, which is an award-winning interactive customized solutions. You know, they do museums all over the world. And uh, we started working with them. And they are making it sound all very easy. And then, <laughs> and then so we took that data, we put it in, uh, we found some media, so what we make it look like, so there's a little bit of a cheat in it, because there are, there are pictures here and videos and, 
and we make it seem as if it is that particular seal, but it's not. It's a multitude of seals over many co seal pups over the course of years. But, but this path of the seal, that's the actual that's single exactly. seal. So we're watching, while we're talking, yeah. we're, we're watching him bounce around the different nooks and crannies and stay put and then travel a little and, yeah. and test. He seems like he's testing yeah, his so abilities as he gets farther and farther exactly. from and shore. As, and, and as he gets older, the, the, the further he travels. So in the end, we chose one pup that we thought had the most interesting journey. And we, we mapped that out here. So we have, um, so when you click on, would you click on one of the little uh, videos, yeah. we have little captions. So January 14, today I found a great spot just off of Leugenestrunt. There are plenty of other pups to haul out with. And there's a picture of a bunch of seals together. And so it's kind of, you're getting the first person, like you're saying, the story. Um, and I'm already like deeply attached to this little pup. I'm getting so good at diving. When I'm hunting for food, I can swim down to 70 meters if I need to. And there's a wonderful video of the pup down in the uh, sea plants on the bottom of the exactly. shore. Wow. There is, we are telling real scientific story here of where he goes day by day. Oh, there he goes. He's going out to sea. Exactly. Yay. And so then when, and then it's, there is this amazing moment in here in December when the, when the pup is about three months old, where he gets his amazing confidence and just starts swimming. And I mean, he, he swims across the entire north coast of Iceland in like three days. And then and he goes back and forth several times. And then in March, so that, so that I finish that, uh, his tag falls off. Yeah. And it is designed to fall off. It's designed to be a, a limited time. It stays on so that we're not hampering uh, the seal in, in, in its life. The, the little tidbits that come up, which are pictures and videos and stories, they help to tell the story. And I believe in that as humans, we learn through story, yeah. right? So I could have just put this up here, like just the, just the map part. And, you know, we had serious discussions about this. Should we just do the map? Should we just do the lines and just be completely, like, scientifically accurate and not put any video, not put any... any we have, like, a, we wrote a script, so it's like, you know, we imagine what the seal is doing at whatever point and whatever. I think story is how we first learn to understand the world. There's been all this research that shows that uh, children, when they first start understanding what is happening... They start at the end of the day or at some point they start telling a story of, you know, today I will do this and then we will do that and then it will be breakfast and then we will do that. So the way we understand the world is through story. I think that story and hard facts, the, that the, the art and science together is the most powerful way that we've got to fulfill our objectives of making the research accessible, of making people understand seals better. So I used both. I used both art and science because I do not wish to take away either because yeah. both, are, both are the biggest weapons in my arsenal. So, so why would I leave one in the holster? Thanks for joining me on this adventure as I explore Iceland's many museums and get to know the fascinating people who run them. Music in this episode is by Jonas Sig, an Icelandic band based in Reykjavik. You can see photos of the museum and find more of Jonas Sig's music on my website, hethman.com. That's H-H-E-T-H-M-O-N.com.
If you liked this episode, please take a minute to review the podcast on Apple Podcasts or send me a tweet at Hannah underscore RFH. Reviews and social media shares help people with great taste like you discover the Museums and Strange Places podcast. A big thank you to the many of you who have already reviewed and reached out to share your reactions. I make this all by myself, so it really means a lot to hear from you. It's a shark. Yeah. This guy looks like trouble. I'm out of here. Yeah, yeah, so we have the pub come yeah. across this Greenland shark, right? Ooh. And I particularly love the little fish that's in the, in, the, in the shark's mouth here. Oh my goodness, yes. It's a great shot. <laughs>